I was sleeping on someone's floor for a year. In that case, two years I was sleeping on floors and couches and, and moving around. Jeez. I was on food stamps and I was coaching at a Division One institute and I was producing. The athletes that I coach actually won and became champions and became All-Americans. You know, I feel like wherever you're going to get, it's really up to you and your decisions and your drive. Hmm. I feel like that's what it comes down to, to know exactly what your goal is. Yeah. Yeah, because that it, it focuses your actions and your choices. And then the next year, I was an Olympian. I was able to represent the Virgin Islands at the 2004 game, 2004 games in Athens, which was amazing. Welcome to the Cheat Code Corner podcast, where we hit you with the cheat codes to help you advance in the areas that you care about. I'm your host, DC, and today we actually have a very, very unique guest before I even name drop him. And keep in mind, he is not even 40 yet. It's in two stages. D1A athlete, All-American, Olympian. Sure, there's AAU stuff in there. Stage two, coach, D1 head coach, one of the youngest there. Not only that, coached All-Americans, the fastest man in Spain. Now he's a personal speaker. This is all before 40, by the way, okay? And so I am very, very pleased to introduce the head of men's track and field at Cornell University, Adrian, Mr. Blue Check Durant. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Wow. Thanks for hopping on, man. I really appreciate, you know what I mean? Carving out some time, busy schedule, I'm sure. Um, but man, I'm really excited uh, to get you on the podcast. I'm going to be asking some questions, some uncomfortable questions today. Ah, oh, man, please go for it, man. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm always ready. You ready? Okay. Okay. Mr. <laughs> check. Um, well, listen, you know, I, as I mentioned, um, I'm really happy that you've been able to hop on the podcast because um, obviously I've known you for a bit of time, but you've had two careers. You've had two careers that, of, of inspiration that we could dive into, and we only have a bit of time today, but I really wanted to um, dive into them because I think you have a lot to offer and a lot to say. And so I'd love to start out with at least the first section, right, where we talk about, you know, you being a D1A athlete and, and becoming an Olympian. Now, obviously, there's a lot of backstory to that, which we need to provide a little bit, but it's essentially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're from Virgin Islands and then went to New Jersey specifically to run track? Yes. So uh, growing up on St. Croix, uh, you know, track and field was my thing at a pretty young age. I got involved at second grade. I uh, was one of those kids that had just way too much energy. And <laughs> to stop my mother from going crazy, uh, she pretty much just put me in every sport that was available. Um, at first, I was a little too young for most sports. I was started out with martial arts and then eventually ended up in track and field and flag football and soccer and a bunch of other sports. But track was the one that kind of stuck for me. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I, I was pretty, I got pretty good at it. Yeah, pretty good. I started at it. Okay. Pretty, got pretty good at it, started winning races. And, uh, and through winning those races, the local races, I, I got the opportunity to compete in the British Virgin Islands. So I lived in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I grew up on St. Croix. And because I was running so well, I had the chance to go with a youth group to the British Virgin Islands, to Tortola, and then eventually to other islands down the chain, um, Anguilla and these different places. And so I realized, wow, through this, I can travel and see different places. And I got to experience different cultures at a young age. And it was just, it was also such a new experience for me seeing like, these different places with different money, where the money was designed, where and I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got the idea, the bright idea at some point to say, you know what, I want to take this all the way and run in the Olympics. And I'm not sure what age I was. I was young. I was probably 11 years old. 
And um, I know that <laughs> the folks around me, my mother and my grandmother, they they were behind that. They 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 supported that idea. And through that idea, you know, that became kind of my mission. And and so you I had a mission. Much, early. You had a mission early. I mean, I didn't actually realize that. So from from early, it was already you had this vision of wanting to be an Olympian. That was just imprinted through some of this, the success that you had. I didn't, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I don't know if I saw, you know, the Olympics on TV or, or what it was. Um, I'm not, I don't remember seeing a lot of track on TV, but I just know that I was gaining recognition. I was winning ribbons and I was traveling and that was exciting for me. Yeah. And, and I saw, I must've seen the Olympics one day on TV and saw the best of the best and thought, that's what I want to do. I want to get that, that good, be that fast, run yeah, on yeah. that stage. And that kind of was my thing. Um, and so, so, something, so it was actually something kind of interesting too, which I, I mean, outside of maybe some folks that go to like special academies for basketball or something. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you went to New Jersey from, from, you know, the Virgin islands to high school for the specific purpose of, Hey, like I, I need to get good. I need to get a scholarship. I mean, so you went into school with that purpose, which I think is yeah. not normal for most. No. And, and it sheds some light on a couple of things that I'm, I'm going to get to, especially when I, when I met you. And so I, uh, and so I grew up with my mother and my uh, grandmother on St. Croix. Um, and there was very limited opportunity when it came to track and field. You had the interscholastic stuff, you had local stuff, and, and we could raise money to travel to those meets in the, in the, lo- in the islands that were close. Mm-hmm. But there was really no big high school track and field scene. And so it was like, if I'm going to pursue this, I have to leave St. Croix. And so my mother uh, sent me to New Jersey to, to live with her first cousin, my uncle Jerry, and, and, and my aunt Ruth. And so that's why I left St. Croix. So after eighth grade, I, f- I moved directly to Teaneck to start ninth grade. Moving from St. Croix, where I had lived my entire life to that point, 13 years, to New Jersey, very, very different experience. You know, academically, I was good. I was always a, a good student. So it wasn't an issue there, although it was a concern would my mm-hmm. grades translate, but it did. I had no problem in Teaneck. But the, it was tough you know, being a freshman, getting into Teaneck, going to Teaneck High School, because I didn't go to the middle school that all of you went to. So I knew nobody, essentially. Yeah. And so my the only thing that I had that I knew is I knew I was fast. And so when I got there, my thing was to be like, OK, well, you know, I don't know anybody or I'm new here, but I know I'm faster than everybody. And I was going <laughs> to stick I was going to stick with that. And I, talk, I talked enough trash until somebody was like, well, you're not faster than my friend, you know, Damien. And, and that's how that, kind of, that conversation got started. You know, you broke pretty much every record in the local area and yeah. counties, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that was already and some and then, you know, you got offers from some schools, but it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily the, the schools that you wanted to go to at the top of the top from a from a from a track perspective. Yes. And so I, I, I feel two ways about this being at Cornell now and knowing that both you and I were in the same AP courses academically. I could have run track at Cornell or Princeton. And I know how the financial aid works at those schools now, these schools. I wouldn't have had to, I wouldn't have had to pay a dime. Mm-hmm. So I wish I would have known that, but that would have changed my whole journey. At the end of the day, I figured to get to the Olympics, I need to go to a track school that had Olympians, that had people who were the best of the best. And although I did very well at Teaneck High, I hadn't run quite fast enough to earn a scholarship at one of the best schools in the country. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but so I ended up walking on to the University of South Carolina, 
But I had had previous experiences with South Carolina throughout my life, which kind of made it seem like that was the place for me regardless. One of my first experiences was as a youth in the Virgin Islands traveling to a competition in Columbia, South Carolina for this International Youth Games thing. And we actually stayed on South Carolina's campus. And I had forgotten all about that. And then I had been introduced to the head coach of South Carolina while I was at Teaneck by one of our coaches. And I, it started all kind of coming together. So it was, it was just always this theme around South Carolina. And uh, okay. so I, I wasn't sure at the time that I was going to go to college. I had the grades, but didn't have the money. And I was going to just, at that point, I was like, well, I may just train, which was a terrible idea. And my grandfather uh, at the time, he he was like, no, you're, you're going to college. And he pulled out a little bit of money that he saved. And my mom pulled out a little bit of money that she saved. And I took out a loan for you know $15,000 to cover that first year. And I walked on to the University of South Carolina with the intention of earning a full scholarship. But I do remember you saying just like, look, if I can just get to where they are at, if I can just get around those guys, those guys are not going to beat me. And like, again, I always believed in it, but you know, again, these, you're talking about South Carolina, you had some of the Olympians, you know what I mean? All Americans, you had some of the fastest people in the nation or well, in the world go there. Well, this goes in line with kind of my philosophy. I mean, at the end of the day, anything you're trying to accomplish, you're never going to succeed at anything if you don't take a risk, period. There's going to be a risk. And so that was my risk. Mm -hmm. I could go to South Carolina, get a full scholarship and be back the next year or go there, not get a full scholarship and be back home the next year. And those were my <laughs> options. Those were, I, those were my options. And I was confronted with those options. I mean, I had coach sit me down and say, hey, you're not going to be here next year if you don't run fast. And I understood that. I understood that. So. And I worked my butt off and I ran fast enough. And, and some folks who had scholarships didn't, they just didn't. Everyone has a different developmental path, but sometimes, you know, if you're really good in high school, sometimes it can be hard to keep that chip on your shoulder and push through. And this is not, this is with everything. Hmm. And so I, I think my motivation was a little stronger than some folks who were on scholarship already. So when you, you know, you earn that scholarship and then you got to keep it, right? You know what I mean? You got to keep it. You have to keep it. <laughs> you have to keep it, right? <laughs> Did the sense of validation wash all over you or did you say, nah, like I need to, I need to keep this up. These guys, every year there's a new crop of people running fast, Brendan Christian, J John Fortenberry, all these guys pumping yeah. out times. I mean, what was that like? Cause that could not have been easy. Uh, no, I, well, let me tell you right now, I don't think anything's easy. So <laughs> I, I just don't think that I think we're in the world and we live life. And I think life is at a consistent, hard difficulty level. And sometimes it might spike up to, you know, very hard. Yeah. But I think it, it constantly consistently is around a hard level. I think I, I don't, I don't see what's easy. <laughs> you think that's maybe um, some of your background though, too. I mean, you talked about it, you know, raised by mom and grandmother in St. Croix, have to go to a different place to, yeah. to run. And on, on, on a piggyback on top of that, I also was adopted. So, you know, I was adopted and um, don't know who my father is. Mm -hmm. And so these are all things that, I hear are supposed to stop me from being successful. That's what I hear. Mm -hmm. uh, but well, statistically, I just statistically, I, it's supposed to make it yeah. difficult. But I, I, life is already difficult. So, I, you know, I feel like wherever you're going to get, it's really up to you and your decisions and your drive. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what it comes down to. Um, but no, it was difficult. Uh, I got my scholarship. There's a pressure to keep your scholarship, which I did. 
Um, and then the next year I was an Olympian. I was able to represent the Virgin Islands at the 2004 game, 2004 games in Athens, which was amazing. And so I had accomplished that, that life goal. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, how did that feel? I mean, that was big time. I remember when you qualified, I mean, it was a big deal. Like yeah. working for that for, tw- you know, 10 something years of putting in hard labor, huh? Yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, it was quite the experience, the Olympic games. There's nothing like it. It's hard to describe. And it was in Athens too, which was the home. So it was, it was very historic. It was amazing meeting the people and, and just the whole experience interacting with the other, the athletes from other countries and seeing some of the best athletes on the planet live and direct. Like I walk, came across Yao Ming standing just on a corner and it was just incredible. And so it's, it's hard to describe. It was an amazing experience. And, um, you know, but I do think that I took it for granted a little bit because uh, I was only 18 at the time, maybe. And so at that point, I just thought I'll be back here again. You know, this mm. is this is who I am. And I think I learned another life lesson in that because <laughs> it took <laughs> me a while to get back to the Olympics. And also, I also think that one, I guess, a negative effect for me was that that had been my goal for so long to make it to the Olympics that I didn't make another goal. And that's an issue. Yep. And so I think I found myself in a state where I was continuing to run track and train for a number of years after the initial Olympics, but I hadn't made another goal. And so I didn't improve at the yes. same rate that I did before. Cause I didn't have a clear vision. So I do think it's very important to, to know exactly what your goal is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that it, it focuses your actions and your choices. I mean, that clarity of a goal, I think um, gives you that North star. You know, mm-hmm. and so I exactly, think, you know, and North Star where you can actually focus your energy and not waking yeah. around saying, what am I supposed to do? It's yeah. funny. You should bring that up. Um, you know, uh, like I went to Penn State and, and, and didn't run there or anything like that. But um, you know, I had to pay out of state tuition. Right. <laughs> you should have ran. You were pretty good. Yeah, I, I, don't gas me up. All right. You, you know, what I, mean? I was I was. Deep. I was okay for a local. You were good enough. You were good enough to run at Penn State. Man. I mean, maybe, maybe. Who knows? But you know, I go out there, and so you know, take on school loans, and then by choice, and then I'd go to grad school, take on more school loans. So my goal since eighteen, right? Yes, graduating stuff has really been to pay off school loans. That that had <laughs> yeah. real talk. Every, a lot of what I've done, of course, I want to network and, and work. But going back to your point is, is once I paid off Penn State, you know, I was actually in a weird. I was you didn't know what to do. I didn't know what yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, I, it's like you want to keep paying. You're like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yeah, you're, my life focus, actually. I was just like, oh, am I supposed to, you know, you're paying for 10 plus years. What am I supposed I had to, re, like, refine the fire. Re, yeah. Almost reinvent myself, which is tough. I had to read a book called How to Design Your Life to actually find, <laughs> yeah. to refocus my life. But you're so, it's so important to find a new goal and to invest your time in it. Cause if you do not do it, you're just going to be floating. You're going to be absolutely be lost in the wind, just floating around. Yeah. Let yeah. me ask you then, how did you, you know, you fit, you walk on, you hit, hit your major goal. I mean, Olympia, you know, you did it, walked on great school, became a killer yourself, all American. <laughs> right. How did you then transition? And a lot of athletes do transition to coaching, but your story is interesting because of how quickly and how successfully <laughs> yeah. Right. You transitioned yeah. to coaching because my idea was to get I, I would like to be a division one coach in track and field. I remember my college coach, Coach Fry. He was always driving a brand new car, always seemed really cool. He was traveling the world. Yep. You know, he came into work at like 11. 
you know, it was this. I was like, man, this flexible lifestyle. He's coaching track. Yeah, it's, it's making tons of money. He's coaching track, and this is great. So that seems like a job I could do, even though I like IT. It's not a job I can do. Mm-hmm. I don't like being in the office. So okay. for this, I was like, that seems like the goal. How do I become a Division One head coach? Well, I need to become a Division One coach. How to do that? Well, they're not going to hire anyone who doesn't have coaching experience already. So you, I will either have to coach for years at a lower level or I volunteer coach in a division one school, build up my resume, and then I can apply for an assistant position. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So I saved up money, moved to uh, Florida, to, to Florida, Tallahassee, Florida, so that I can volunteer coach at wow. FAMU. That wow. means I'm working for free. For still free, paying, but learning, still but learning, learning, but working for free and paying bills and paying bills, paying bills. So that's what I call say, grinding folks. That's called grinding say, sacrifice. Needless to say, I was sleeping on someone's floor for a year. In that case, two years I was sleeping on floors and couches and, and moving around. Jeez. I was on food stamps and I was coaching at a division one institute and I was producing the athletes that I coach actually won and became champions and became all Americans. Wow. And so I had the opportunity to prove myself. I did. And based off of what I did at FAMU, I was able to get the assistant coach position at Cornell. Now, I also had networked and had met the head coach at Cornell. So a combination of networking, but also performing and showing my value. So then I get the assistant coach job at Cornell. So this is kind of how things developed. You know, it's kind of interesting that um, when you're telling that story, one of the things that I loved what you said earlier was like, essentially, hey, these paths are not necessarily linear. You got to test things out, go up and down. And that that's a point that I think people don't realize. Everyone thinks it's good. Just go. There's a straight, a straight shot. Man, look, I'm 37 now. At 27, I was broke, flat broke. At 30, I was flat broke. Now I had a degree. I had a master's degree. I was an Olympian already. I already had levels of success, but it didn't matter. And that's the point that people need to understand. Like, in this world, whatever you're yeah. going to accomplish, like you have to go get it. it. It doesn't matter. I could have just sat there with all those, you know, titles and Accolades. things like that and been broke, which is what I was. And But I, I had determined what I wanted and went mm-hmm. after it. And there were a lot of risks along the way and a lot of pitfalls and a lot of situations that I thought I may not, you know, get out of. And yeah. it's a lot along the way. And people don't understand that because you don't really go into that. They see me now and they're like, man, you're so lucky. You're a young head coach in Ivy League. I'm like, yeah, yeah lucky. <laughs> I'm well, lucky. You know, it's actually kind of, you know, when you're telling that story, it, it reminded me of something as well. It's, it's, it's about perseverance and doing what it takes. Mm-hmm. After I graduated from, from Penn State, I was working at Oakley. I couldn't get a job in the industry. Yeah. Just couldn't. You know what I mean? Working at the mall. And you have student just, debt and a degree. The student debt and a degree. I was working in paint department. <laughs> and one of the things I ended up doing was I moved to London um, on this, um, you know, with this visa. And I volunteered worked at this company called Corbus for eight months. And while paying, I was in London with, you know what I mean? Paying. Like to work for this company. And while working for this company, what I was hoping would happen was an opportunity would open up in New York, which it did. So when it came in and I was an entry level position, when I was able to say, hey, interview for it, they're like, wait, are you in the system already? I'm like, yeah, I'm volunteering in 
in, in England. You know what I mean? I had to come out of pocket. And I think one of the lessons that people got to realize, whether you're entering school right now, whether you're, you know what I'm saying, or entering the labor market or whether you're trying to elevate and get a promotion thing, sometimes you're going to have to do more work or you're going to have to do work Man. for free to get there. You know they what I mean? That's what they don't, don't no realize. one says that. Specifically being one of the younger head coaches, period. At all. I mean, what has been one of the more challenging things that you've experienced, given you've already, you know, championship level coach, you guys won, mm-hmm. got a lot of success. I think that when you, you know, you become the head coach, I become a head coach at 30 and we win the championship. It was great. And we break the record. It's amazing. And then that summer, the kid I coach breaks the Spanish national records and he wins the European championship. And then we go to the Olympics and, you know, same guy that I coach gets, uh, 10th place in a 200. And so I'm riding this wave and it's a high, but I've been a head coach now for, this is uh, going on my seventh year. And so it's, it's more than just that, that happy high, that exciting high. Mm-hmm. It's seven years of, of learning and growing because it's, it's, that's what it takes and really learning about how to do this job. And it's still challenging. It's still challenging. And I'm looking forward to this season because I, I think we're going to win and it's going to be rewarding. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a constant, you know, I don't think you ever, I don't think you can ever turn it off. I, I don't believe in being complacent mm-hmm. and, and settling. I think you end up behind when you're complacent for just my observation of the world. Mm-hmm. So even in my position now, I find I have to deal with difficulties. We have a large team, a lot of people and a lot of things to manage and I want to win. And so I'm still the same person, still pushing forward, still wanting to be the best. This is still what's driving me. Uh, So I'm coaching kids. Now, I say kids because, you know, they're 17 to 21, 22. They're college age kids. But for me, they are kids. Mm -hmm. And it's like if if you have kids, you know, if you if you tell them to eat that broccoli and they don't want to eat it, they hate you. Or if you tell them, you know, they can't stay, it's time for bed. I don't want to go to bed. And you make them go to bed. They hate you. Mm-hmm. They don't hate you, but that's, they, they're very upset with you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I get to be that person who everyone gets upset at when I, you know, when I'm like, okay, as a team, we are not doing this. We're doing it. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's part of it. And I enjoy being in this position. Mm-hmm. It's just, you ask me what's been difficult. It's been growing and learning what leadership really is. It's not just telling people it's getting them to buy in and want to do things. And, you know, yeah. What does it take to become a championship level coach? Well, you heard my story. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah, That's kind of, you know, I would say if you're, if you are, well, it depends on your starting point as well. You know, if you're a division one athlete, you have an easier starting point than if you're completely have not been an athlete. That's an incredibly high bar. I don't know. If you want to be a championship coach, division one coach specifically, I would say that you have to get your foot in the door and it helps to gain experience and to be mentored by a championship coach under the winning program. And so I think the fastest way to do that is to volunteer, work for free, to go to a high level program, say, hello, I would love to volunteer here and learn. And you will learn everything and you work with the, some of the best athletes to the point that you do that for a year or two. You can apply to a job saying, I have coached and worked with these athletes and this individual is my mentor. And that person is reputable enough to where you will get a position, an assistant coach position. It may not be at the national championship team, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, 300 
plus division one programs, right? Like if you're trying to be successful, if you ask me three things, so I would say the first thing I would say is make a decision on exactly what you want to do. So your choices can correlate with that decision every day, every choice that you make, what you consume, Mm -hmm. what you listen to, what you're reading, what you're everything. But it takes, that's what it takes. I've heard, I've interviewed 30 Olympians. Hands down, you have to make a decision. I don't think it's debatable. You have to make a decision. The second thing that I've identified is if you pursue success, you will risk failure, but failure is a risk worth taking. Yeah. You're going to risk failure. You're going to risk failure and you're going to fail. Yeah. And, but failure is not the end all be all. If you lift weights and you lift until muscle failure, you can't get another rep. What happens the next time you come and lift? You can do one extra rep. Your body has grown back stronger. Yeah. You're tougher. You're able to finish that workout. And so do your failures, you're learning, you're growing, you're becoming better. And that's the, that's the thing, actually, that's one, one of the things that I've actually, and this is recent, this is not even, it's only, only after toiling away and paying off this debt and having some success at the jobs that I realized that failure is actually not failure at all, unless you give up. Exactly. Only when you give up is only it failure. when you give up. Yeah. But yeah. failure, I mean, <laughs> learning, growing, you know, when you fail, then you get, you, you're able to identify the areas that we, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it, Oh, so if I do this, I lose. I'm not doing that. You know what the issue is, is we're at least in North America, you know, you get a, a D or an F. So like, you know what I mean? So then you take that and you internalize that what it really yeah. needs to be. It shouldn't be like that. When I yeah. fail, then it, like you said, it's okay. Not doing that anymore. That's not good for my diet. I'm going to approach this question like this. I'm going to do two weeks of preparation. So yeah, there is no failure. Everything. Yeah. yeah. There's no failure unless you give up. That is the only guaranteed failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the, so and so if you pursue success, you're going to risk and you will encounter failure, but that is a risk worth taking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So don't be, don't, don't allow the fear of failure to prevent you from taking a chance. And I'll say the third tip or cheat code that I would give is that whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever position you're trying to get, let's say you're trying to get a job, mm-hmm. be sure to research and acquire the qualifications of your would-be peers. That's big to me. Too many times we try to find a way around being qualified. I don't believe in that. I struggled while coaching to get earn my master's degree online. It was, it was, it was not fun. And the year after I got my master's degree, I became a head coach. All head coaches have masters as a requirement. If I didn't struggle and get that masters, I would not have been eligible to become a head coach in the first place. The last section of, of the podcast, it's called power questions. It's a few questions that's designed to better understand a little bit more about coach Durant, what makes you tick. So try not to think about them too much, but be honest. And I'm gonna hit you with them. You ready? Yeah, sure. Of course. Right, I'm cool. always ready. All right. Number one, what's your biggest inspiration? What is my biggest inspiration? Wow, that was a good question. Mm-hmm. And so my inspiration is to live the type of life that I decide to live. How many hours of sleep do you get? Um, let's see. I go to, I'm, I'm a morning person. I am a morning person and I do not stay up that late like an old man. It sounds crazy, uh, but I, I, I can go to bed at 10 o'clock, you know, and be just fine and be up at six. 
So, so you get um, eight hours of sleep is what you're saying? I, oh, I definitely get eight hours of sleep. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what's your diet like? Uh, let's see. I eat fairly well. I am not like you because I know you're you're really meticulous on how you eat. I I do get blood work regularly because I want to, you know, make sure I'm healthy. And so far, every time I go to the doctor, I am very healthy. And so in my mind, that means when I'm doing works and I still get to eat pizza and Caribbean food. There we so go. pizza is still one of my favorite things. Um, I don't eat it every day, but I love pizza. Um, I love Caribbean food. I am an island boy. So I love me some jerk chicken, some oxtail, some curry goat, curry chicken, brown stew, chicken, all of it. <laughs> oh, man, making me hungry. Favorite activity to unwind? Huh. Uh, well, you know what? I'm a gamer. Um, I haven't, even though I said time, I've had <laughs> I've time to do things, but I haven't had time to play video games necessarily because I feel like you just need a lot of extra time. It's very time consuming. Very time consuming. Uh, you know, I know when you were younger, you play, we played games when we were younger, folks. Yeah, NBA 2K, Damien is Power actually, Stone. Damien is actually very good at a game called Power Stone. It's unreasonable. He's very, very good. I can't beat him. I'm pretty good at games. Golden, yeah, GoldenEye. So it's, I'm the master at GoldenEye for Nintendo 64. For you youngins, it's, it's, right. I'm, I am nice with it. So I do like to, to game to unwind. Um, you know, Netflix, YouTube videos. YouTube is hilarious. I have my YouTube, since I started my YouTube channel, my podcast, I've been on YouTube more. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Wow. Oh, man. I, the first thing I said was flight because I would love to be able to go any because I like to travel and I want to be able to get there. Last question. What are you reading or listening to? What am I reading uh, right now? What am I reading? <laughs> You're going to laugh. <laughs> I'm only right now reading manga. I was going to say nothing's wrong with that, baby. Listen, people, that, people, listen, people underestimate manga. Listen, man, thank you so much for stopping by the Cheat Code Corner. Thanks for having me, man. Quick question. Last one, actually. I'm sorry for that. If someone wants to get in touch with you, you know what I mean? Or like, obviously, want, I want you to shout out your IG, shout out your, your you know, I mean, your podcast. Yes. But if people want to connect with you, let's let's hear how can they connect with Coach Duran? All right. You can find me on Instagram. That is where I am the most active. AKD Coach. That is AKD Coach. Um, I'm usually posting track and field content or motivational stuff, some lifestyle stuff. You know, you want to travel a little bit. I like to travel so you can get some pointers, but mainly motivational and track and field stuff. I'm also on Facebook, Adrian Durant. You can find me. Most of my profiles are open at this point. If you have track track and field inquiries, AKD72 at Cornell.edu. And if it's um, motivation, you want me to speak or anything along those lines, you can find me at DurantAdrian at gmail. Dot com. You can also book me on agentdurant.com. That's where I have, uh, you can book me to speak to groups or any motivational sessions. And my podcast is also on agentdurant.com and on YouTube. And the name of the podcast is The Home Stretch with Adrian Durant. And you can also find it on iTunes. Shout uh, out to the home. everything. Yeah, it was everything. <laughs> I mean, you, big things, but the sh shout out to The Home Stretch with Adrian Durant. It is a fantastic podcast he brings on some of the best olympians galore the insight is amazing the conversation is fantastic literally every after every single episode that i that i watch and listen to i want to run through a wall and do some push-ups yeah man <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean so it, it is fantastic but listen brother man this this has been uh more than i could ever ask for thank you so much for joining this has been fantastic having me man it's been great cool man so we'll catch up another time
Definitely. It was good, fam. It's time for the recap of the Adrian Durant Cheat Codes Corner podcast. Um, Adrian basically touched on three or four cheat codes. So numero uno, um, as it relates to if you're trying to break into a program, uh, best thing to do is to volunteer. Now, this applies to also business world. Look, if you're trying to get on another team or if you're trying to understand how a particular person you know, is a winner and does well, try to see if you can work with them on a specific project or collaborate or you know, just ask them. Ask them like, hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time? Um, you know, I'd love to pick your brain on X, Y, or Z or take them out for a drink. The idea is that sometimes, guys, you're going to have to be able to put up your money, time, or resources to gain access to that valuable information. But in the end, it's going to be helpful. Um, Adrian also talked a few about, and this is not so much a cheat code as it is much kind of a directive, which is number one, in order to really be successful, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. You have to write it down. You have to say, hey, look, I'm going to do this. And then basically the benefits of that is that everything that you do, your decisions, your thought process, your energy is going to go towards that goal. And that's how you can actually put yourself on the track of greatness. Um, Another thing that he talked about also is the importance of risk. Risk is just a part of it. You're going to probably fail on your own along the way, but the reality is as long as you don't give up, then failure won't necessarily happen. Like failure is only guaranteed when we quit. So make sure that you fail, you know, you take the information that you got, apply it, optimize, adapt, and then move forward. The last thing, which is a cheat code that I really like that he mentioned, is the importance of gaining the qualifications of your would-be peers. In other words, if you're trying to get into a particular role, a job, whatever it is, right? Check and see what the people who are in that job or in that role, what type of hard skill qualifications that they have. If you need an MBA, if you need to have 10 years of experience, if you need to know Final Cut Pro or if you need to be an Excel master, make sure that you have some level of understanding or expertise within that. Just consider that, you know, uh, unnecessary. Yes, of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but why make it more hard on yourself? Get the qualifications, stop being lazy, and then stay on the path of greatness. All right, guys, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the episode and, you know, please subscribe, um, you know, hit like if you like it. And if you're interested, you know, feel free to email me at dc at cheatcodecorner.com for any, if you want to join the podcast or if you're, you know, if you're interested and you want some cheat codes um, for a particular endeavor. All right. Thanks a lot.